good morning. I hopefully I'll live up to that uh, video introduction of myself. Uh, as Eric mentioned, I am Tyler Whitmer. My wife and I live just right up the hill in Taylor Mill, and we are about three minutes away from Calvary Christian School, where Centerpoint Church meets. The way that I got involved at Centerpoint Church was I was calling some pastors in the area to let them know. I, I work downtown at Western and Southern Life. I moved up here about three years ago in June. And uh, so this month, actually, it'll be three years, and uh, I was working downtown, and I was calling up some pastors, and I just wanted to let them know, hey, I, I, I graduated from Southern. I wanted to be doing ministry in this area. I had been doing ministry in my last city of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and I just wanted to call Eric Mouth to be like, hey, I'd love to, to do anything in ministry in this area. I'm not a heretic. I just love to hang out. And so uh, it was a very cold day in January. I got on a bird scooter downtown while it was snowing and birded over to Newport and met Pastor Eric Mounts, and, and he said, it's so funny that you would want to be a church planter and you live in Taylor Mill, Kentucky, because we just planted a church about three minutes away from your house, and we need a church planting pastor. And I was never able to shake that conversation. So God, by his grace and in his mercy, uh, allowed me to, to step in and start helping Bill Sherrard and some of the other leaders there. And I just want to give you a brief update and report on how it's going. So as has been made mentioned, um, we are going to be completely autonomous beginning July 1st. And that is such a blessing. It is a good thing. So here, here's a few other things to know. COVID uh, did not deter God's plan for our, our small church plants. In fact, God grew us pretty substantially in that season. So going into the COVID season, we had about 30 people that were faithfully attending Centerpoint Church. And by God's grace, uh, today we have uh, around 90 or so. And we've had 70 people go through membership class. And so uh, a part of being autonomous was having members that could call elders, could call a pastor. And so we had about 70 go through membership class. And because of those conversations, we've, we've had some conversations with some of our 18 to 25-year-olds who this is the first church that they're ever going to be a part of. And so by God's grace, next week we have five baptisms. We're calling a pastor. Uh, I'll be called as an elder first. So technically there's going to be about a five-minute window that if somebody wants to sneak in, they're more than welcome. We're calling elders, we're calling pastor, and uh, it, it has been such a blessing. And so here's what I want to say first and foremost. Thank you. That by your efforts, your kindness, and by God's grace, there's a very healthy church plant right up the road in Taylor Mill that has six dedicated leaders. And by God's grace and sustainment, we, we would pray would be a source of light and encouragement and a center for the truth to that community for many years to come. Calvary Baptist Church, thank you for your vision in sending out and multiplying the way that the Lord has blessed you here. Now, I know what you're thinking primarily about this sermon this morning. You're like, why is this young guy coming to preach to us on Father's Day, I get that. Uh, at at Centerpoint Church, we have a softball team, and uh, last Monday I was playing first base for the Centerpoint softball team, and there was this guy who was the first base coach on the opposing team, and this guy looked like the villain in every '80s movie. Like he looked like he could bench press refrigerators, right? Like this guy was big, and I'm wearing this hat uh, as I'm playing softball that says "Awesome Dad." And I bought it for myself as I was shopping for my wife's Mother's Day gift. It's a whole story. But I'm wearing this hat that says, Awesome Dad. And the guy looks at me and he's like, there's no way you're a dad. And I was like, well, 
actually, uh, I have a little two-year-old. He's running around the outfield somewhere like a crazy person. And he was like, you look like you were 15 years old. And I was like, I get that, you know, quite a bit. And here's my point. Look, I, I do not bring a lot of fatherly wisdom to the room. And if I do, it's not much. I'm still, by God's grace, learning so much about being a father. Most of what I've learned about being a Christian father is from mentors. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up with a father who was very far away from the Lord. And so anything that I've learned about being a Christian husband, a Christian father, I have learned by faithfully watching brothers that have gone before me within a local congregation, parent, the way that they've raised their children, the way that they have modeled an example to me. And I've also learned from Scripture. The Scriptures are filled with understanding of the love that the Father has for us. One of the pictures of the love that our Heavenly Father is, has for us is found in Luke chapter 15. If you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip open with me to Luke chapter 15. I'm sure that as I read the passage, it will probably be on the screen behind me. But the night I heard the gospel for the first time, when I was 16 years old, I heard the gospel from Luke chapter 15, 15 the, the story of the prodigal son. And I know for many, if not most of you, you're likely intimately familiar with this story. I was struck in the moment that I heard it for the first time that I was so much like the son who was off in that far country. And as I've grown and matured in my understanding of the passage, I can also find myself relating very much to the older brother in the story as well. Yet what I want us to focus our eyes on this morning is the love of the father in the parable that Jesus tells. How that Love is a picture of the love that the fa our Father in heaven has for us. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to start reading in Luke 15, verse 11. I'm going to read the, the whole parable. And then I'm going to pray. And we're, we're going to unpack it the rest of our time together. I've been told that I can take a little bit longer in this service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I will start reading. This is the word of the Lord. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into, into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I love that. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But even when this son of yours come, came, who has just devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I pray that in this short time that you would do what I alone cannot do, which is take your word and multiply it to feed your people. God, I pray that if I say anything that is contrary or apart from your word, God, that it would be quickly forgotten. That all that would remain is your word, which has the ability, the authority to transform hearts and transform Minds, God, would you do that now in us by your spirit? Convict us, conform us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. First point I want us to see in our text this morning is this. The father is patient. The father here is patient. The younger son comes to the father and he wishes for his inheritance. It would be like saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead so that I can have what's coming to me, so that I can go and live the way that I want to live. He says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This, if it seems offensive as a request today, just know that in the, the context of who Jesus is speaking to, with the Old Testament wisdom around the topic of giving one's inheritance to your children before death, despite that wisdom... The father gives the son his inheritance, and the son takes his inheritance, and the text tells us what happens next. Not many days later, the son gathered all that stuff together, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. It's interesting. When I was taking uh, in seminary New Testament 1 for the first time, that we as American Christians, we just glide right on past that in the famine stuff because we don't really have a good context for what it's like to be in a land struck by famine. But what's interesting is if you read this passage to a lot of believers in other countries, they'll note this almost every time. This is a severe need that this man falls into. So much so that he was working with pigs as a Jewish man, longing to eat what they ate. The son who was so desperate to take what he felt like he was owed. He finds himself where many of us do at one point in life or another, right? Which is at rock bottom. Far away from the love of the Father, in need of help he spent. There he is in a far country, shipwrecked, in need. A Jewish man working in a pigsty, unclean, the relationship with the father, completely severed, shattered. As a young pastor, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of weddings. I haven't done a lot of funerals. But yesterday, uh, I was asked and 
I, I went and did a funeral uh, in, a re, in a nearby county. I was speaking beforehand to the, before the funeral to the father of the man who had died. Uh, the father was almost 90, and the son who passed away was 60, and he passed from cancer. And the father told me the very first thing as he said to me, he said, I wanted you to know, Pastor, that my son, he knew who Jesus was. He's known who Jesus was since he was 10 years old. And I could see his baptistry card on one of the things at the funeral, on one of those boards. The father said, I had a conversation with my son about Jesus just a year ago. And the son said, Dad, if if I could go back and do it again, I'd have done better. This man, at the end of his life, had remembered what he had learned when he was 10 years old. He had remembered the gospel that he had been taught. That is the love of the father. Hearing stories at the funeral, being told of that last, the, the man's last year of life, and how he labored to share the gospel, even to hospice nurses, asking them if they had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. See, this man, I think, had experienced what we see in verse 17 of our text. Actually, it's a verse that, it's a text that I pray almost every time before I stand in a pulpit and I preach God's word. I pray that people will have this moment, this verse 17 moment. But when he came to himself, this realization of his need for the Father and his love. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Is this you this morning? I pray you come to realize the love that the Father has for you. You know, we're not told how much time the prodigal son spent running around, running from the love of the Father. We're not told how long he spent at rock bottom. But what we do see is the Father's patience. The way he waits patiently for the son to remember his love and care. And so what does the son do? Well, it tells us. He, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's his confession. He makes this plan. I'll return to the father. I want you to consider his confession. Recognize his complete separation from the father. This severed relationship he says i'll just go back and request not to be a son just be a servant maybe the father will have mercy on me what we see next is our second point in our text this morning this the father is compassionate the son returns to the father in the parable and this is what we see and he arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off His father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This dignified Jewish man pulls up his robe, sprints at the son who has just spent, we don't know how long, away. Imagine that. The father looking out, sees his son, picks up his robe, sprints to him, and he kisses him, and he embraces him. How unexpected in this story. Jesus' parables often have a twist that we don't see coming. But how unexpected. See, the context of who Jesus is telling this parable to matters. We learn that in Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you imagine the frustration of the Pharisees hearing Jesus tell this story? Why would he receive his son back? 
this guy just went off, squandered it on harlots and partying, and he receives them back like this. Now I want you to imagine the sinners at Jesus' feet hearing this. How they must have been overwhelmed with the joy at the fact that the father took compassion on the son who realized he was a sinner. That realized he had need for the father. I've been that son, haven't you? The son that has found himself in a far country in desperate need of compassion and grace that only the father could provide. And what was the father's response? Was it anger? Was it questions to the son? Third point this morning is this. The father is joyous. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate to our surprise and surely to the surprise of the sinners and the Pharisees hearing Jesus tell the story. The father's not furious. He's joyous. Bring quickly the best robe. Give him his ring back. Return his status to him. He's no longer us. He's not just going to be a servant. He's going to be a son. Brother and sister, that's, that's you. That's me. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were each in desperate need of the restoration that only the Father can provide. When by the Spirit of God we fell under convictions and came to ourselves, we had that verse 17 moment, we were not met with condemnation, we were met with compassion, we were welcomed with joy. The Father throws a feast for this son that was lost and has been found. And what we see next in the parable is that Point four, the father is gracious. He says, for this son, this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the root of the joy that the father has. The son of his was gone. He was dead and has been made alive again. He's returned, lost and found. This is a cause for celebration. Imagine being one of those sinners at Jesus' feet, hearing this story. That was me at 16 years old, hearing this story for the first time, thinking, I've been off in that far off place. I recognize my desperate need for this mercy, this grace. I identified with a younger brother here like many of you may have at one point, or maybe as you do right now. But hear me, if that's you, know that your Heavenly Father is patient. He's compassionate. He's joyous. And He's gracious. This is not where the parable ends. The other brother also has some feelings about the younger brother's return. It says, now the older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants. He's like, you know, what's going on here? And he said to him, your brother's come home. Your father's killed a fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But what's his older brother's response? He's angry. He's furious. Why? Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? Dad? The older brother has not joined the feast throne for the wayward younger son. He's out in the field, steaming mad, rage, listening to the feast inside. You can imagine the Pharisees sitting at the feet of Jesus, identifying some with the older brother's sentiments here. You're telling me this guy that squandered money on harlots and partying, that guy's getting a feast thrown for him? We would never feel that way, though, right? As Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would never feel that way. 
It reminds me a little bit of Jonah chapter 4. The story of Jonah, maybe you remember it from Sunday school or you've read it recently. You know, uh, Jonah disobeys the word of the Lord, gets swallowed by a whale or large fish in the Hebrew, and end of story, right? That's where we stop it in Sunday school typically. That's not the end of the story, though, is it? It's not even the point of the whole book. What we see actually is the point of the whole book is actually in, in chapter 4. And that is Jonah has just done something that no preacher before him was able to do. He steps into wicked Nineveh, that wicked city, that great and wicked city, it says. It's so big. He steps in and he proclaims what had to have been the most reluctant presentation of the word of the Lord ever. He's just repent or be destroyed. And it's so effective by the Lord's grace that even the king is in sackcloth and ashes. They make the cattle like fast. So effective. And what does Jonah do? He goes and he sits himself up on a hill, and he waits, praying that the Lord would still destroy Nineveh. Because they're so unlike him. He's followed the law. He knows who God is. Why on earth would God be so gracious? Like the older brother sitting outside the feast, furious that the father would dare have mercy on someone that the older brother deems as so unworthy. As a pastor, I have preached many times that no one is ever to remove from God's grace. I've believed it every time I've preached it and every time I've said it, I've meant it. And yet I was unprepared personally to confront this truth in a moment that I needed to be reminded of it. Six summers ago, uh, my little half-brother, came and stayed with me and my wife, Alicia. Alicia would love to have been here, by the way. She's working childcare down at Center Point. But my little brother, Braden, he came and lived with me. And so a little bit about my background. Uh, I came from Evansville, Indiana. My father, whom I love very much, he was a meth dealer most of my life. And so I left and went to college. My little half-brother was still in the house, obviously, with that. And so we decided, hey, maybe Braden can come and live with us for the summer. And he did. And so it was in that summer that Braden went to church camp for the first time, got real close with the middle school pastor, and uh, by God's grace, the Lord gave him that verse 17 moment. He came to himself, he realized his desperate need before the Lord, and he gave his life to Christ. And, and I, we were so excited when he got home from that camp. And we called our dad, and we said, hey, I'm going to have the joy of baptizing my brother, now my brother in Christ, here in a few weeks, would love if you would make it. Everyone in the family agreed. Everyone was going to make it. And then I get a call the night before from my dad, and he'd gotten picked up on something, and he was in jail, and he wasn't going to be able to make it. And I was furious. I baptized my brother the next day. One of the things that he got out on, on house arrest, was um, he could go to church. That was one of the meetings he could go to. And I'm laying in bed next to my wife a few months later, and I get this call from my dad at like 10 o'clock at night. And uh, not that that's late for me, but I get a call at like 10 o'clock at night. And we're talking. And he said, I just wanted you to know, I went to church this morning. And it felt like the pastor was preaching directly to me. And I went up to him afterwards and I asked him how I could give my life to Jesus. And I said, Dad, praise God. Amen. And I hung up the phone. And if I'm being honest, the first thing I thought wasn't joy. It was anger. How, God? Like, like Jonah sitting up on the hill, like the older brother outside the feast. How could you 
save this one who's hurt me so much? Who's hurt my family so much? You know what I needed to remember in that moment is it took just as much grace to save my dad in his 50s as it did me sitting there in that church at 16 years old. Just as much grace. Just as much mercy. Just as much compassion from the Father. Romans 3 again, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace. The Father's gracious, isn't he? To both brothers, he's gracious. Which is good news for us. Because when we start to identify with either brother, we get to remember our Father's gracious. Final point for our text this morning is this. The Father's loving. The Father's loving. In context of Luke 15, we see Jesus teaching sinners and Pharisees these three parables, which all end in the joy of heaven when sinners repent. We lose sight of the meaning of the parable, though, if we forget the one telling it. Jesus, the Son sent by the Father, tells this parable. So here's the other good news is that the father did not leave the wayward son in the pigsty alone. The father sent his one and true son to find that brother and say, come home. Come home. That whoever would believe in the name of Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is also the true older brother, that that one that not only comes to the feast eating with redeemed sinners and tax collectors, he himself became a feast. His body broken, his blood shed, which paved a way for all of God's wayward children to be redeemed and restored, welcomed into that feast. The Father's love calls us to a feast, not only now, but there's a feast to come that we as believers in Jesus long for. And we read about that in Revelation 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this at the end of the book. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the, the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are, the, these are true words of God. The Father's calling us not only to a feast now, but by the grace and mercy of his son Jesus there's a feast that we long for in the future. And I pray we wouldn't be either brother off wayward or thinking we're in the position of God outside of that feast, real worried about who's in it. Here's our gospel application for this morning. 
So if that's the gospel, the Father loves you, desires for you to come home, desires for you to come to that feast, then how do we appropriate that? What's our application? Two things. First one is this. Come home to the Father's love. Come home. Are you living in a far country, searching for things to satisfy you besides the Father's love and grace, thinking that freedom from the Father will make you happy? Then I pray you have that verse 17 moment, and you come to yourself in your sin and utter desperation before the Lord, and that you repent and turn to the Father, who will do what? He will have compassion on you. That he will extend grace to you. That there will be joy in heaven resounding at that decision. Perhaps you're a believer here. Likely you are. Perhaps you've been one for a while. Then hear me. Our second gospel application is this. Welcome others with the Father's love. Welcome others with the Father's love. Jesus ate with sinners. He welcomed them. He did not only offer his robe, ring, and sandals. He sought you out in the muck and mire of your sin and called you to himself. Brothers and sisters, there are so many in our community, potentially our own families, that need to experience the love that the Father has for them. I pray that as we leave here, that we would not be either brother, but we would be desiring to be in that feast and just welcoming whoever else wants to come in and partake. That no one is too far from God's grace to be restored by the love of the Father. I pray that you would extend the patience, compassion, joy, grace, and love that your Father has extended to you. God help us to do this. And he will. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in your sovereignty, in your goodness and mercy towards us, that you sent your son Jesus, that all who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, I pray that even now you would begin to stir up in the hearts of those who have not made a profession of faith in your son, Lord, that you would lead them to yourself, that you would find them out, you would lead them home. I also pray for us as believers that we would never be so arrogant as to believe that we know who deserves your grace and mercy and who doesn't. God, would you help us in that? That by your spirit you would conform us more to the likeness of your son Jesus who not only invited others to the feast but became one for us. Our body, or his body broken, his blood shed on our behalf. Lord, thank you your love that you have for us. May we love others as you have loved us. Amen.